Scripture reading this morning is found in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 through 19. In your Bible in front of you in the pew, it's on page 1246 and goes over into 1247. <clears throat> Beginning with verse 17 of chapter 6. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. If you lived through the 60s and 70s, you might know that, or if you listen to Dave Ramsey on the radio, you might know that sound. But we're talking about money today, and, and I, I like the idea of talking about money before we hold our Faith Promise weekend, because it's a, it's a weekend next weekend where we... Uh, are asking for money and and it's kind of one of the few times in the calendar year that this church you know kind of pushes giving in a way and so it just makes sense that we talk about giving leading into that and last year we did we had time for a whole series and we did a three-part series called God's economy so if this looks a little bit familiar um, then and you're having like a deja vu moment, you know, this is why we have been here before, as a matter of fact. And, and what we're going to do today is kind of just recap uh, last year, last year's series, because it's been a whole year just about. Uh, and so, you know, a lot of things have happened and a lot of things to remember since then. So in your bulletin, you've got a extra large note card today with an extra bunch of blanks. And so those of you who are always disappointed to only have a few blanks, uh, this is your day, and we will run through a whole lot of stuff today, and if any of it strikes you as, man, I wish you would have spent some more time on that part of things, I'd, I'd, I'd like to know more about what the Bible actually says about that than what he shared today, uh, then you're we still have the sermons from last year up there on our website, cypressstreet.org, and you can go on there and, and listen to whichever part of it uh, struck you as something you'd like to learn more about. But uh, we're just going to kind of cover things broadly today with a broad stroke. And, and uh, you know, as I was thinking about money and this message, a lot of churches uh, stay clear and, and preachers stay, give money issues a wide berth. They want nothing to do with it. Uh, and I think that's because so many churches are weird about it, you know. <laughs> there's a, there's been a lot, of, a lot of preachers and churches that just get kind of weird about money. And so there's a group of churches that just stay away from talking about it altogether and a group of preachers that do that. And, and then there's the weird ones. <laughs> that, <laughs> the, the flip side of that is, you know, you're the one that, that preaches it all the time or that pushes it all the time or, you know, you hear stories. I've heard, I heard a story about a church in Missouri while we were up there that... Uh, this was just the story. I don't have any evidence. But they said that the church members would sign, would like have their paychecks direct deposited to the church account. And then the church would pay them their 90% or whatever out of the time. I mean, so there's, 
there's some churches that go kind of, you know, it's, there's all types out there. And, and I think it's funny that it seems like most of the time in most of the churches I've been in, well, a lot of churches that I've been in, and probably you as well, it's either a topic completely avoided or it's uncomfortably not avoided. And, and what's funny is Jesus did neither of those things. When, when Jesus was, you know, walking around and teaching and, and doing all, he talked about money a lot. But he didn't get weird about it. You know, he just confronted it boldly and with confidence and said, here's what you need to know about money with regards to the kingdom. And, and so, you know, I think that's what we're shooting for around here as well. And so we try not to get weird here. <laughs> but we do talk about it. And, you know, one time, though, Jesus did kind of get weird about money. It's the only time that I can think of where he asked someone to give away all their money. And this guy came up to him, this, he's described as a rich young man or a rich young ruler. He's, a, he's some kind of person of significance, but he was a young man. He had a lot of property, a lot of wealth. But from what we know of what scripture says, it appears that he was a very moral man, a very upstanding man, citizen, uh, someone that, you know, a role model for your kid. I mean, just a great guy. Not only that, he was, he was wealthy, and in that society... In the Jewish culture of that day, it was believed that God rewarded, you know, goodness. If you followed the law well, then it was a, you know, kind of a prosperity thing. And so, in that culture, that guy would have been like the guy. I mean, he was, I mean, that's who you want to be. Someone who's got it together so well, and and probably his parents had it together, and look how blessed he is. And uh, this guy has got it going on. He knows, he understands God and, and, the, and all, you know, he's, he's in the group of the best of the best. And yet he comes to Jesus and clearly he's got some concerns of his own. And he feels like there's something lacking. And he says to Jesus, what more do I lack? What do I, there's something I need. What is it, teacher? And Jesus responds. He says, well, go and give away all your money. Sell off. And that day, you know, they didn't go to the ATM to get their money out. They had to sell off property. And then give it away to the poor. And then come and follow me. Like, man, Jesus said that to me up front. I don't know what I'd say either, you know. And and so the guy hangs his head and he walks away, but and the disciples have some questions for Jesus about this. But think about that. Here's these disciples standing there watching this. And these are men who have left their homes left their careers, left it all behind to go and follow Jesus. And they watched this man, couldn't do it. And he walks back, hangs his head. Jesus had identified the thing in his life that he wanted more than God. And if you or I had been standing there today and Jesus had the same conversation with us, it may or may not have been Go and sell all your things. It might have been something else. Maybe there's something else in our lives that we prioritize or risk prioritizing over God that He would have pointed out in our lives. But for a lot of us, money is up there. Money and things related to money. Stuff, the need to have stuff, the need to have security, the need to have our financial security, the need to provide well for our kids and for their futures and and if God asked us to give all that up, we, a lot of us would have a hard time with it. 
Here's what Jesus' actual words were. He said, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But he was saddened and went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. We are ones who own much property. And, and we talk about this all the time. You're probably tired of me telling you that you're rich because you don't feel rich. <laughs> you, you say, Pastor, you keep telling me I'm rich, but I don't feel rich. And I walk by all these you know, mansions and, and I see the cars that, that drive by that are much shinier and newer and have bigger price tags than mine. And, and I'm not really all that rich. But like we said just a couple of weeks ago, you can ask the half dozen or so people who have recently gone with Carvin to Guatemala whether they came back feeling like they were pretty rich. After building homes for people that didn't have homes, after seeing the conditions that people were living in, and most of the world, if they walked up to your house, would call it a mansion. You got a front yard? You got a backyard? How many rooms are in your house? You have running water? Is there a paved street that leads to your house? And sewage and all those things. I mean, most of the world can't fathom these things that we have. And so we fall in that category. And that's why I think this passage that Marlon read for us a few moments ago is so appropriate for us, even though at the start it might be easy to kind of write it off as intended for someone else. Because what Paul does here, he's writing a letter to a guy, a young pastor that he's been mentoring named Timothy. And he's, we've got two letters, so we call this one First Timothy. And in these letters, he kind of just gives some advice, some personal advice, and, and some church advice, and pastor advice, some leadership advice. And in this particular part, you know, part one of the things he often says to Timothy, because Timothy is a young pastor, and maybe he's either a little bit uh, lacks in confidence, maybe a little bit, or or maybe he's let some older folks in his congregation run over him at times. I don't know the, all the situation, but Paul tells him at one point, just flat out, hey, don't let your youth be a problem. Just You need to lead boldly. You need to do what God's called you to do. And this is one of those examples where, I mean, that sounds kind of daunting. If you're a young guy, you know, go instruct those who are rich. Tell them what to do. You know, and he's thinking, ooh, but they, you know, they pay my, <laughs> my salary or whatever, you know. Uh, I don't know, Paul. Paul says, no, go, go and instruct them who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so they'll take hold of that which is life indeed. And there's this little passage, but there's, it sums up so much of what Jesus taught. So on this week where we don't have time to go through and look at a whole bunch of scripture passages and teachings of Jesus, we're going to look at this three verses that Paul told Timothy and told him, hey, be bold and instruct these people that are rich in your community on how they are to treat their wealth and their money. Help them understand God's economy. So from this passage, from what Jesus taught us, we can draw several lessons and we looked at five of them last year and we're going to go through those now the first lesson is everything is God's 
at the fundamental of the Christian, you know, at the very foundation of the Christian worldview is that God is the creator. And everything in the universe it belongs to Him. He made it. It's His. You know, that, that verse we just read a moment ago said, God who richly supplies us with all things. It's Him who supplies us. Everything is God's. And we're in danger sometimes of forgetting that. Because in this world, Phil, you know, we're the whole, the whole rat race out there, right? When we walk out these doors, everybody's trying to get ahead in life. Everyone's trying to get stuff for themselves. And, and this is how good I've done. How good have you done? And we compare our lives and, and our wealth. It's important for us to be reminded off the bat, just a dose of humility, everything we have is God's. So where does that leave us though? I mean, what about the stuff that we do have? If it's God's, what are we? And God says we are stewards. And that's lesson number two. A steward, that may not be a word that we throw around a lot anymore, but it's a manager. You know, you can think of it as like a financial manager. If you have someone that you entrust your money to, to invest it wisely for you on your behalf, then that's a steward. And, and God has entrusted a portion of his stuff to us. You have a portion and I have a portion. Your portion looks different than my portion. But he has made us stewards of his wealth. It's partly for our enjoyment, for our, our discretion. You know, it says he's given us all things to enjoy, to use as we see fit, but instruct them to do good and to be rich and good works, to be generous. So we're going to get into some of this, some of the expectations God has for his stewards. Lesson number three is God clearly prefers a growth strategy to risk management. This is especially clear when Jesus when he tells the story you know stories like the one with the guys where he gives them some talents and tells them to go and invest it while he's gone and, and the one guy goes and buries it risk management strategy <laughs> that's what that is I'll, I'll minimize the risk you know it'll be there when he comes back I will not lose it and, and I'll be able to give him back everything he entrusted to me and the master returns and is not pleased at all. In fact, he takes what he had left with him away and gives it to someone else that actually invested it wisely. And so we see clearly time and again that God seems to prefer a growth strategy to a risk management strategy. He's given you, you know, gifts and abilities and, and money too and stuff. And he expects us to wisely invest that for the kingdom. Not just to sit on it. And I was thinking about this, you know, this week, and, and I hope I'm not getting too far ahead of myself, but sometimes I wonder when Christ returns and asks the church what they've done, you know, how many churches will say, well, we've got these multi-million dollar buildings we built, <laughs> you know, they look awesome, don't they? And I just wonder if that's really the investment he was looking for sometimes. The, the numbers are staggering when you hear them about how much 
the church in America spends on buildings, you know, it's like billions. And you, and you just wonder if we all met in each other's houses and poured that money into ministry, what it would look like. Not that buildings don't serve a purpose and ministry doesn't happen because there are buildings. I'm not saying it's necessarily, it's just interesting to think about. And God expects us to be making wise investments for the kingdom with our money, not just sitting on it. You know, likewise, out of the church context, if he returns and we say, well, we've got jet skis and ATVs and trucks and boats and look at all this stuff we got, you know, is that the kind of investment that he was looking for? And Paul tells Timothy, have them do good with it. Have them be rich in good works, generous and ready to share. That's the sort of investments that God is interested in. And that leads us on lesson four. Wise kingdom risks. Wise risks. I mean, he expects us to use wisdom, not to just go around... Uh, you know, just throwing money to everybody that says they need a dime. You know, he's not. Ex- I think that would be a poor management of our church resources, don't you? If if I, if you just paid me to stand at the door and hand out cash to anyone, because they'd line up, wouldn't they? Everybody would line. That's not the sort of thing he's looking for. He wise kingdom investments, things where we're investing our money to try and do ministry with kingdom purpose. Things like the ministry that we're going to be talking about next weekend on Faith Promise Weekend where we're funding, you know, taking the gospel into our community and into the nation, into the world. Those kinds of investments. And and right here as well. And in your own life as well. Making wise kingdom investments. And when we do that, it comes with God's own version of the what is it, FDIC? <laughs> you know, you, get, you see the sticker and you go in the bank and, and it, I don't think we think about it much anymore, but there was a day when you'd breathe a sigh of relief when you saw that sticker because if your bank failed, then, you know, the government would ensure you'd have your back at least up to a certain amount. And God kind of offers His own FDIC version and Jesus would talk about how don't worry about you know, the necessities of life. I mean, I've taken care of the birds of the air, haven't I? Uh, They have enough to eat. I've taken care of the birds of the field, I mean, the flowers of the field, and they have great clothes to wear. How much more will your Father take care of you? And so we can trust that if we're doing God's will, we're striving to do what He's asked us to do, that He won't hang us out to dry. And the last thing, lesson number five, how we choose to manage his resources here affects the dividends put into our account in his kingdom. Jesus said, right, don't store up treasures for yourself here where moth and rust is destroyed, but instead store up treasure in my kingdom. And Paul wrote to Timothy, That when you instruct them to do good and to be rich in good works and to be generous and ready to share, that they'll be storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future. So, 
We believe that when we invest in the kingdom, we're investing in something more than just a temporary retirement, more than just you know, a better future for the next generation. It's an investment that goes on and on and on and on and on and on. And multiplies beyond. We believe here that God can do far more with our stuff when we entrust it to Him than we could ever do with it in our own efforts. So we have to have a kingdom perspective. And we have to remember that there's more to life than now. And we have to be wise enough to invest in eternity. So what do we do with this? One thing we need to do is stop trying to get what's mine and start trying to manage what's his. We need to change our mindset, in other words. And stop trying to think of things. Because, I mean, we spend, let's just be honest, so much of our lives comparing ourselves to other people, trying to figure out, you know, why don't I have as much as they have? Do I need to work three more jobs? Do I need to, you know, how, how am I going to get into that neighborhood? Or how am I going to get that car that I've wanted? Or, you know, this hunting cabin and club? Or this camp, you know, out there? Or this, the list goes on and on. The things that we feel like we need for our enjoyment and for our pleasure. And, and part of what God entrusts to us is for our enjoyment, just like he said. But we need to remember whose it is. And when we have that mindset, we'll remember that we're managing his stuff. And that changes the way we look at what we do and how we... I mean, just it changes the way we view our house. And our house isn't just a house for us. But if there's a way we can leverage it for kingdom purposes, then so be it. Let's do it. Our car isn't just for us. If there's a way we can, God can use that car to do ministry or, you know, that we can use that car to do ministry for God, then, then let's do it. And it just changes our perspective on things. What we need to remember, that was what we need to do, what we need to remember is that the surest way to lose it all is to try and keep it all safe. I mean, you know, you put it in a, if you worry about the bank, then you might put it in a security box, right? Or, a, or under the mattress, <laughs> But one of these days, you're going to leave this earth and then see who gets it. But oh wait, you won't see who gets it. <laughs> you won't care. <laughs> we have to keep in mind that the only way that we're going to, you know, you're not going to take it with you by like doing the, what was it, King Tut and all those guys and, you know, the, they'd put the wealth in their big pyramid and, and that way they'd have wealth with them in the next life. Doesn't work that way. You can't take it with you. But there's something you can take with you, Jesus said. And when you invest wisely for the kingdom here, somehow, I don't know how exactly it works, he says you're storing up treasure in a different kind of bank. So we need to remember that. And what we need to ask is, are you investing in the right future? That's the question we need to wrestle with. What future are you investing in? 
there's this illustration. Julie told me about it, and, and I went and looked at it. Francis Chan does it. I don't know if someone did it before him or if he saw it somewhere or what, but took this piece of rope, right? And uh, this one's a, this is a camo rope because we're in Louisiana. And uh, I should have strung it out better, but anyway, this rope is all wound up and it goes a long ways. It kind of stops at the piano, but let's just pretend it goes around and around the earth for a long time, right? And just keeps on going. Longest piece of rope ever known. Can you see that the end is green? The end is green, this little part right here. This part right here, this is kind of like a timeline, this rope. It just goes on and on and on. And this part right here represents your life on earth. We're here for a few years, the Bible tells us, and then we fade away. But our life goes on and on. So this is the point right here where you meet Jesus. Everything changes. And you look back on your life, this little bit here, and the decisions that you make in this little space, the Bible tells us, affects how you spend all this on and on and on. It's just funny that we spend our whole lives from, you know, about this point to here, saving up as much as we can to enjoy this part right here. <laughs> when we retire and we think about, whew, we're going to get a Winnebago and we're going to travel around and see the country. We're going to live it up right. We'll read some books, as many books as I want or you know, go hunting as much as I want. And, and we spend this whole life worried about this little part right here. And we're not even thinking about all of this. And people look at us, the world doubtless looks at us, and, and we're giving our money away. I mean, we're giving chunks of our money away. I mean, people in this room are giving 15% all the time of their money away. And people of the world say, if you just put that in a decent investment, I mean, you would have it made millions. You'd be sitting on millions. And this would be awesome. <laughs> you're crazy. But people of the kingdom say, no, you're crazy. You're spending all this time saving up for this little bit right here. <laughs> and then what? And so people of the kingdom say, I'm going to spend all this investing for all of this. It just makes more sense, doesn't it? People have been in search of a better life, a better little green section for a long time. And, you know, that's why the pilgrims came over to America, right? They were in search of a better life. They wanted to be able to practice their Christian religion their way, and, and they wanted the freedom to do that. They came over. Other people came over to, you know, just to get ahead economically or have more opportunities. Uh, later, as the country developed, people wanted to head west. Head west, young man. Or the gold rush. You know, if I could just strike gold in the bottom of that gold shop, then me and my family would have it set for years and years. And so people on and on through the ages have been trying to get ahead in this life make a better life and that seems to be our focus and nowadays it's, it's about the cars that we have, it's about the houses that we have and everybody's, you're nobody unless you got granite countertops, right? 
<laughs> Everybody's got to have granite countertops now. And, and so that's the world that we live in, and it focuses on this life, this little tiny piece of life. But in that moment, when we stand before Christ, and we're reminded of how we invested, what are we going to regret? And what are we not going to regret? You know, all the money that we sank into the, those cable bills, you know, that stopped paying off right after the show ended. And all the money that we poured into the car bills, they kind of stopped paying off after the car died or got totaled like mine last summer. <laughs> what, I, you know, what will be the things that we regret? Will we... Will we really look back and say, boy, I regret giving so much money away? That was a shame. <laughs> I kind of doubt it. So I want to encourage you today to take hold of life that is truly life. Don't get caught up in the why. It's so pressing around us and we see the commercials all the time, right? Especially during the Christmas season of get the cell phone coverage that you deserve. That you deserve. <laughs> what did I do to deserve better cell phone coverage? I wish someone would tell me. I had no idea that I deserved better. <laughs> Till they told me, right? And then I'm like, it's my right. <laughs> get me some good cell phone. In fact, when I moved here, I was mad. Because we moved into this neighborhood and Verizon said it had great coverage. <laughs> get in there, I couldn't get a bar of coverage in our house and so we had to switch to AT&T. I mean, I had the right to some decent coverage, you know, and spent some time on the phone with a lot and know, you know. But <laughs> we live in this world where, where we're, you know, just inundated with you need this stuff, you need this stuff, you deserve this stuff. It's your right to have this stuff. You need a great life now for this little bitty part of life. This world is not worried about eternity. And the people of the kingdom, if anybody should know what really matters and what's on the other side of it, it should be the Jesus people. The ones who are listening to what he said. Because he said, don't worry about storing stuff up for this life. It's not going to last. Store it up somewhere where it will last. The Proverbs Say it like this, such is the fate of all who are greedy for money. It robs them of life. Paul wrote it like this. Tell them to do all this wise investing with their money, being generous, sharing, storing up for themselves a treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. And you look at Paul's life. Someone who left everything behind. Who knew what it was like to go with nothing or to have much. It didn't really matter to him either way. Because he was on a mission for God. And he knew which life was really life. And so I just want to challenge us today. To take hold of life that is really Truly life.
All this stuff is bound to fade away. It just can't last. So we hope in something that does last. We hope that we can pour our money into a a ministry, into a, a person, and that God can use that to change lives, not just for this life, but forever. So that after we're gone, and the world is spinning on, that which we invested will still be reaping dividends. It's been great to hear from Ron Cootie lately about just kind of a global perspective and ministry overseas as he's here on a break from being a missionary in Turkey. And it's just incredible to hear the statistics of how few people there were back in the 90s, just a few years back, that were Christians in these nations where the gospel had been shut out for so long. But there was this remnant there. But then, you know, God's word was free to come in and it's just spread like wildfire and continues to spread. And the people who've invested in that mission, even though the ones that aren't here anymore, it continues to go on. Next week is our faith promise. And we'll be talking about giving. Next week we'll have pledge cards in your bulletin and and it'll give you an opportunity to pledge to give over the next year to a fund that we have in our church that sends money out to missionaries like Ron Cootie, to church planters like John Simmons who him and his family are coming to be with us next weekend and share with us and be our guests for that weekend. You know, and I just want to say a word about our giving around here. And this is one of the most generous groups of people you'll ever meet. If you're kind of new around here, just want to let you know. There's people in these seats that they give just kind of what, what our leadership believes and, and what we do is, is we give 10% to the church. That's our, what we call our tithe. That's what the Bible calls a tithe. And, and we give 10% of that here to the general work of the church. We entrust that. The board of trustees manages those funds as they see fit. And they, uh, you know, part of that goes to salaries and part of it goes to keep lights on and all that stuff that doesn't sound real fancy. <laughs> but part of it also goes to ministries and all sorts of things that we do that changes lives right here, that impacts lives right here. But the people in these seats, they don't only give that. They give above that. And they give to things like our building fund that helps us not take a hit when an air conditioner goes out or when we need to update part of the building or do anything related to our facilities and properties. There's also a a youth director fund here that people give to to help pay Pastor Kenny's salary. And those people give above their tithe and they pour into that fund and I mean, look at the dividends that we already see and just the baptisms that we've seen and you think that's a worthwhile investment? And there's people here, most of us, we give to the Faith Promise campaign as well. And those monies that go out to uh, missions and lots of different, even things locally that serve the poor in our community in the name of Christ, 
and lots of really neat ministries that get funded. And not only that, we're so generous with our faith promise giving that it regularly exceeds our budget. And we're able to do really neat stuff that comes up, whether that's, you know, like a, a tragedy strikes and we're able to send a special gift of money to someone or something or someplace. Or an opportunity comes up to send someone on a mission trip and we're able to help do that. And, and so it's, it's a really neat thing and we get to celebrate regularly throughout the year all the stuff that we're doing because of our generous giving. But I just want to challenge you, if you are here and you're not a giver yet, or giving's a, a struggle for you. I mean, you know, some of us take it for granted because we've been giving a tithe since we were wee bitty, you know, and so we've never known anything else hardly. But for someone who comes to the church later in life and you're up to your eyeballs and bills and the preacher starts talking about giving 10% or more and you're, and you're doing the math on that and you're like, man, that's a lot of money. Where's that going to come from? I want to encourage you to take a first step at least this time of year but I also want to challenge you that your first step be giving to the church and like I said earlier the, the leadership of the, this church we believe and we practice that our tithe goes to our church first and then above what we can do above that what we can promise above that we do but let's remember that there'd be no faith promise and there'd be no Pastor Kenny There'd be none of that if there weren't this church and the ministries that we do on a regular basis. And so we fund that church first and then we fund the other ministries. And that's why. So I want to encourage you to come next week. Whether you're going to be starting out by just starting to give a little bit to God's church or whether you're going to be challenged to give more than you've ever given before or for the first time to try giving to faith promise or I don't know where, you know, everybody's at a different place. But come next week and be inspired by what God's doing and what He's up to and see what it looks like when we invest in the kingdom because that's what next week is about. Amen? Let's pray together. God, this is a hard thing for us to get because it's so countercultural. It goes against the grain of everything we see all around us all the time. Help us to take hold of life that's truly life. Thank you for the promise and the hope that we have in Christ. Holy Spirit, Help us get this. Help us to be bold enough to do what seems crazy in the eyes of this world, but from a kingdom perspective seems crazy not to do. Grant us wisdom and understanding and courage. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.